Uh, good morning, Crosspoint. My name is Greg Herman. Uh, my family and I have been thankful to call Crosspoint home for the past eight years. And, you know, the thing that drew us here was, you know, and, and when I think of describing Crosspoint in one word, it's authentic. And the authenticity that we saw this morning with testimonies and these young people and Susan sharing her story, authenticity abound. Uh, so didn't really want to follow all of that, but <laughs> here I am. So let's hear God's word. Now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send the letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be traveling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on, on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me. Yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while with you, because he is doing the Lord's work just as I am. So let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me, because I am expecting him with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos. I strongly urged him to come, with, to come to you with the brothers, but he was not willing to come now. However, he will come when he has the opportunity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you have a Bible, uh, open it up to that passage. That's what we'll be in uh, today. Next week, we finish up uh, in 1 Corinthians, we've been there since last fall, and so we'll look at the final uh, second half of chapter 16 next Sunday. At the end of this letter, there's a sense of the Apostle Paul cramming a bunch of uh, seemingly random things and thoughts together. The end of his letters often deal with travel plans and greetings and the mentioning of people. It seems disjointed, but it isn't, because what we hear are the final encouragements of a heart of of a pastor, a shepherd, a person who is for the Corinthian church. And any of us who have ever said goodbye to someone we love, we, we get that. We're, we're trying to touch on all the subjects, express our love to them, and that's what Paul is doing after writing a lengthy letter. He's wrapping it up with some final encouragement to the church that he desires to see grounded in the gospel and growing up in the Lord. And as I finish out this series, next Sunday is my, my last Sunday before summer sabbatical, so I pray that you would hear that heart from me as well, that you would hear a heart of a pastor who is for this church, who loves this church, who I have a deep affection for this church. We'll summarize Paul's encouragement in verses 1 through 12 this way, that he is praying for the Corinthian church that they would be a generous and gracious church, generous in their financial offerings toward the kingdom and gracious toward fellow brothers and sisters in the family of God, generous and gracious. I pray that might continue to describe us here at Crosspoint over that, that next generation of ministry. We hit 20 years in August, that the next 20 years would, would be described, these would be a couple of descriptors of our way of life in Christ. It has been that way. There's abundant evidence of that over the past 20 years, but the Lord would get the glory as we continue to, to seek to make progress in seeking a generous and gracious spirit. 
So verses 1 through 4 in the CSB translation again. Now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside something or set, set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will be, need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it's suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. Now about, implying that the Corinthian church had asked Paul about this collection. Tell us about the subject of money. Tell us about the collection, how we should handle this as a church. Paul, Paul is exhorting the church through this letter, a church that he's planning on visiting in person in the future to gather up a collection that would go toward the church in Jerusalem that is struggling, that is impoverished, to give a special offering that will support poor Christians in the church in Jerusalem. Why are they poor? Well, a couple possible reasons. They are going through a famine. So they're in a, a season of scarcity, not abundance. As well as the Jerusalem church was known to serve widows well. And so because they're serving well, because they're living out James 1.27 to look after widows and orphans, they are in need as well. The scriptures are abundantly clear that God's people are to have a heart for and remember the poor. Not just love people with our words, but with our actions. Because we're gospel people. And we are to be a reflection of our triune God and His character. And He didn't just love us with words. He loved us with action. With Jesus Christ incarnate in the action of the cross, the resurrection, His life before that. And so Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church, just, just like he does in other churches, such as the Galatians, to be generous toward the broader kingdom toward the needs in the family of God. Here at Crosspoint, that gets played out in a, in a few different ways. One is that we, we have a family fund. That fund is designed to help those who are regular members, uh, regular uh, attenders and covenant members of Crosspoint who are in financial crisis, to bless them, to serve them in that way. We also, as a church, give toward Heartline Heart House. We give benevolence dollars toward their, toward their community benevolence fund. They have an existing system that blesses and uh, meets needs in the community. And so we, along with other churches, say, take our funds, we'll entrust you to steward them well. Okay, so there's a couple church-wide things. But the major way this command to be generous toward the family of God gets played out is not through formal church-wide means. It gets lived out by you all, a family of servant missionaries, living life on mission, the body of Christ, doing what the body of Christ does. Be the hands and feet of Jesus, seeing a need, listening to the Spirit, and responding. Not having to go through some system, but just being the family of God. Notice this dynamic that Paul is implying here. The Corinthian church is primarily from a Gentile background. The church in Jerusalem is primarily from a Jewish background. And apart from the gospel, these two groups of people aren't necessarily skipping through the, flowers of field, the fields of flowers together. There is racial division, racial hostility. But the gospel, but the gospel tears down the walls of hostility. The gospel tears down dividing walls, always has, always will. The church of Jesus Christ is now to be a picture of restored and reconciled community and a family of faith. So Corinthian church, gather up that offering for those who are racially different than you. For it's no longer about earthly tribe, tongue, and nation. It's all about the king, king of kings. It's all about the new eternal kingdom that we've been brought into by grace 
alone. It's about our citizenship in heaven now. And Jerusalem church, the church that was prone to be skeptical of the gospel coming to the Gentiles, when you receive this gift in the future, be reminded. Be reminded of the broader family of God and God's heart for every race, every people group. We see here a picture of a kingdom mindset, a big C church mentality. That When churches are aligned in the gospel, in both doctrine and deed, we can partner together to build the big K kingdom and not settle for trying to build small K kingdoms. This is the mentality that we have and we will pursue as it relates to church planting. On our own, we could have never planted Redeemer in Manunk. But in partnership with the broader kingdom, we can plant churches. We have. God will continue to open that door, whether that's locally, regionally, or globally, when we think ends of the earth and the Papua New Guinea Ethnos 360 team reaching the Kuyu people. No one church can do all the things. But we can obey in where and how the Lord has gifted and called us to join in kingdom work, kingdom work that is bigger than just one church in a local uh, Midwest rural context. We can do more in the kingdom together than we can individually when we are aligned in the gospel. Verse 2 again, on the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside something or set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. So we learned a couple of principles as it relates to the collection or financial giving. Two that I want us to see. Our giving should be intentional, deliberate, thought out, and our giving should be in proportion to our prosperity. Intentional and proportional. Intentional. There's an ongoing rhythm to our giving. Here Paul is talking about the first day of the week, meaning Resurrection Sunday, the day the church of Jesus Christ historically since Acts has set aside as the day that we gather to worship. Not the only day we worship because worship is a way of life, but the day that we gather to sing, to greet one another, to fellowship, to open our Bibles, to hear the Word of God, to celebrate the sacraments of communion, to celebrate a sacrament of baptism, to testify to God's grace. Granted, in our day, giving toward the kingdom happens in a variety of ways, not just when a basket is passed on Sunday mornings. But Paul is saying, here's your heads up, church. Think through it, pray through it, be responsive to the Spirit, gather up a collection long before I come. Be intentional in praying and acting on it, not haphazard. Don't be scrambling last minute, Corinthians, but with prayerful thought, set it aside ahead of time. You've been freed in the gospel, so this is not a tax. This is not a bill. I'm not showing up to manipulate you or guilt you, but this is a chance to live out the words to Abraham in Genesis, you've been blessed in order to be a blessing. Our giving should be intentional. Our giving should also be in proportion to our prosperity. Look at the second half of verse 3. Each of you, he says. is the phrase used to remind that this is personal. I'm not in charge of your household's giving. You're not in charge of mine. This is personal, and yet this is also in unity, together, the family of God, giving toward the household of faith. And we are to give in proportion to our income. We all get paid in a variety of ways. The rhythms of it, the weekly, the bi-weekly, the monthly, and so on. In that day, it was much more, it was weekly. Work during the week, get paid, 
bring a purport, or bring a portion of that, a proportion of that with us on the day of the Lord. For a season of our marriage, here's what occurred in our lives. Our income was, was going up. Our lifestyle was going up, meaning we had more stuff. The material nature of our life went up. And our giving toward, toward the kingdom remained the same. Our giving remained plateaued. Our giving did not keep in step with our prosperity. The rest of our lives did, for sure. Our giving did not. So what that revealed in us is that we saw our giving to the local church as simply a bill, an obligation, a set monthly amount like a 30-year mortgage that never changes even when your income does change. But kingdom giving is worship. It's trust. It's relational with the Lord and with the Lord's people. Yeah, yes, it's intentional. It's consistent. It's built into a plan but it's to be proportionate. As the Lord blesses, we are to be a blessing. And as the Lord causes the increase, we are to store up treasure in heaven. And church, you're doing this. We're doing this. We're growing in this. We haven't arrived. We never will, but we're growing in this. The Lord is stirring a growing, generous spirit in us as his family. For instance, our weekly offering average right now is 15% higher than what our budget is set at. The Lord is causing the increase. It's going to be for His glory, right? It's not about us. I'm just going to say that every time. It's not about us. It's not about our own little K kingdom on this corner here. It's seven acres for Pete's sake. It's a small kingdom. As the Lord brings about an increase, it, it means the Lord is also opening a door for increased mission and ministry. For instance, to give toward missions and church planting. So to send money outside these four walls or to potentially increase staff to better equip and encourage the body to bless the community, to serve the community or to potentially improve and expand the building and property so that this, this property would be even a more effective tool for mission and ministry in our region, in our context. And those are examples, ministry or missions, staff building, those are church-wide things. But the Lord is, again, stirring in you as individuals to simply give generously toward one another and toward your neighbor because you're a family of servant missionaries. And some of you listening may be very skeptical of any church talking about money. You're thinking, I just showed up because it's Mother's Day <laughs> because she wanted me here. Or I just showed up for the baptisms. And here we are, another church, talking about money. And maybe you've got the receipts, pun intended, to reveal why you are skeptical. You saw the local church growing up use money in a distrusting way. Or basically it was a means of very self-service. It wasn't about mission, it was about them. Or you saw corruption. Heavens, the internet will, will show you that one on a daily basis. Maybe you're thinking, so the pastor's going on sabbatical couple weeks, so look, we're going to talk about money because he's nervous. <laughs> Listen, a couple things. I'm just preaching through the Bible. You chose this Sunday. <laughs> You're welcome. Next Sunday, we won't talk about money besides the offering because it's not in the passage. It's in the passage, so we're going to talk about it. Secondly, I'm not nervous at all because the church never rises and falls on a human 
imperfect leader. Never has, never will. It's built upon Jesus Christ, the rock, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I am not that rock. Neither are you. It's his church, his people. He's growing in us both a generous and gracious spirit that sows into an everlasting eternal kingdom that has a gospel heart for one another and the lost and gives with gospel motives. Years ago, I wrote a blog post. You can find it on our blog. The link's on our website. But I thought it'd be fitting to share this morning the titles. Uh, it's a long title, so it's not a good blog title. But <laughs> 15 reasons why we give and one reason why we don't. And basically, 15 reasons why Heather and I feel compelled by the Scriptures to give first and foremost to the local church and one reason why we do not. And some of you already hear that and go, well, yeah, you get paid by the church. You better give to the church. The church is paying you. And this would be our conviction no matter what my vocation is. It's, we haven't always been this way. I've already shared that one story of that. But we're growing in this. We haven't arrived. I'm not speaking as a graduate. I'm speaking as someone alongside I share these with you to simply give you some motivations to encourage us on why uh, of pursuing a generous spirit because none of us have arrived. We're seeking to grow uh, to reflect the, the lavish generosity the Father has given to us in the gospel. This is not an exhaustive list. This is not in particular order. I preface the snot out of it. So here's 15 reasons, and I'll give a Bible reference after each one. 15 reasons why we give. When we give, it consistently digs up the lurking root of the love of money in our hearts, 1 Timothy 6.10. When we give, it grows our heart in contentment, no matter the season we are in, whether in abundance or need, Philippians 4.11-13. When we give, it reminds us of God's faithfulness in our lives and that He will never forsake and that He is eternally trustworthy, Hebrews 13.5. When we give, we store up treasure in heaven, which has everlasting value, and refocuses our hearts as citizens of heaven, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. When we give, it's an active step in seeking first the kingdom of God, and as a result, an active step in not letting worry rule our hearts, Matthew 6, 31 through 34. When we give, it reminds us that our ultimate satisfaction is in the Lord, Ecclesiastes 5, 10. When we give, it reiterates to us that the goal of our lives is to grow to be like the Lord who is the epitome of generosity. John 3.16, when we give, we do so because we deeply believe in the worldwide mission of the local church, Matthew 28.18-20. When we give, it repeats to our hearts, the Lord, the Lord owns everything and he's called us to be managers. It truly isn't, quote unquote, our money. Psalm 24.1-2. When we give, it directs our hearts toward the Lord's glory and name and away from our glory and name, Psalm 115.1. When we give, it points our hearts toward the Lord's utter faithfulness and goodness, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. When we give, it stirs up joy in us, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. When we give, it, it grows our devotion to the Lord and slays the small g God of money. When we give, it resets our hope to be in the Lord who has prepared good works in advance for us to do, including that of giving, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. And finally, when we give, it's a tangible way that we can love our fellow brothers and sisters in our church, 1 John 3, 16 through 18. And finally, one reason why we don't give, because we feel guilty, because we feel reluctant or compelled or whatever synonym you want to use. That's 2 Corinthians 9, 7. And you should not give for that reason either. 
Like later on when we give an offering during that final song. All right. Don't. Don't. Scripture forbids it. Scripture commands us to not give out of this guilty motive because of the gospel. Because we aren't enslaved by our God. We've been set free from, from, by Him and from the chains, from slavery. We've been set free. So we give not out of compulsion, but because the Jesus willingly, not begrudgingly, laid down His life for us. In, verse, in verses 3 and 4, Paul wanted representatives from the, Corinthian, or from the Christians in Corinth, in Corinth to help deliver the gift to Jerusalem. The church was to choose people they trusted and send the collected money with them. So he's not taking this money by himself on the journey. This is an above reproach wise decision so that no one can accuse him of, hey, you know, did you take off some off the top or his own flesh, if tempted, can't do that. It's, it's an above reproach. We're going to walk in the light with others. The meaning of the original language of your gift in verse 3 is that of a grace, a gift freely given. This is an extension of the grace of the Corinthian church toward the others in the family of God. It's an overflow of how they have been readily uh, recipients of the grace of God themselves in the gospel. In verses 5 through 9, Paul's talking about his travel plans and we see here a man of God who loves to be engaged in ministry and mission alongside others in the local church. Paul's seeking to spend time with people who he loves and longs to see make progress in the faith. And remember who the Corinthians are. They are prone to arrogance and immaturity. They've not always been pleasant to Paul or welcomed his authority as an apostle. And yet he's saying if the Lord allows, he wants to spend extended time with them. Spend a whole winter with them, not just passing visit. Why? Because he knows the church will benefit from an extended stay, from additional teaching and encouragement. Because Paul loves them. Because Jesus first loved Paul. He was with them for 18 months when the church planted. These are his brothers and sisters in Christ. And whereas earlier in the letter Paul had declined financial support, now he's asking for financial support as it relates to his journey. So that might be companionship, food, housing, clothing. Again, it's a call to be generous, Corinthian church. To be generous. To be, you've been blessed to be a blessing. Notice at the end of verse 7 the phrase, if the Lord allows. Same principle we see in James 4.15. It says, Lord willing. Lord willing, I'm going to do this. But I'm going to make plans, but it's always going to be held in an open hand. Paul has plans. It's good to have plans. I'm a planner. But ultimately, he wants the Spirit of God to lead the Lord to lead in the midst of those, holding these plans in an open hand, saying, I trust you, Lord. He's going to remain flexible as he walks by faith. And what we learn in verse 8 is that he was going to stay in Ephesus because a wide open door for effective ministry had opened, a continuing opportunity for gospel work. Acts 19, if you want to read it at home, details some of that wide open door. For instance, sickness is being healed. Demons are being cast out. Sin in the dark is being confessed, brought into the light. A sweet spirit of repentance is taking place. Pagan books focused on dark and evil magic, they're being lit up and burnt. Idols are being cast down. The name of the Lord was being esteemed and lifted high. Acts 19.20 says the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. At the same time, there was opposition. 
because then a riot broke out. Persecution toward Paul's compa uh, companions resulted. The community was fired up because when idols are messed with, the bottom line is messed with. They're no longer being worshipped, so that's affecting these uh, pagan businesses. The people were filled with rage. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.32 that, that he equated some of the opposition in Ephesus to be wild beasts. He was there for two to three years during his third missionary journey. He's writing to the Corinthians from this town of Ephesus. The ministry mission is not always easy and smooth. We know that by looking at the life of Jesus. We know that by looking at the life of the early church, the apostles. We know that by looking at the history, the church history throughout centuries. When it comes to opposition to the gospel, we tend to either want to fight or flight. Fight or flee. We get angry. And we simply just want to club the opposition into repentance, which is anti-gospel. Or we get scared. We get tired. And we just flee. We hide. We're hoping someone else, just someone else, be salt in this world and a, and a light to the world. And that running and hiding and hunkering down is anti-gospel because Jesus came in the flesh to dwell among us. Neither fight or flight in the face of opposition is the way of Jesus. Standing firm, doing everything in love is. And there isn't a formula for that. This is what we want with our Western minds. Just give me the if-then. Give me the 20 if-thens so I can just live this out. And if we did that, we wouldn't depend upon the Spirit of God that dwells inside of you, that is empowering you as witnesses, ambassadors, as disciple-makers. The Spirit who is opening doors for the gospel to be spoken of, for the gospel to be shown. Sometimes Paul moved on when faced with opposition. Sometimes he remained. In either, Paul kept his hand to the plow he stood firm in the planting and watering, trusting God for the growth. It was the resurrection of Jesus that kept Paul's hand to the plow, reminding him of the power of the gospel, the power of God at work in both the saving of the Gentile and the Jew. Since Jesus Christ beat death, anything in this earth that appears as opposition isn't ultimately opposition at all because he overcame all of it. He overcame sin, death, any scheme of the enemy. Paul's in Ephesus, eventually wants to get to uh, Jerusalem, plans, Lord willing, to visit Corinth on the way. Verses 10 through 12, Paul's encouraging the church to be gracious toward Timothy when he comes to a visit. We've seen throughout this letter that the Corinthian church was prone to spiritual ar ar arrogance. And as a result, they didn't always respect Paul, Paul's authority as an apostle. And Timothy is a young pastor, a student of Paul's, Someone Paul was entrusting the gospel with and knowing Timothy was faithful to teach it. Timothy is an extension of Paul's kingdom work and vice versa. There's an interlocking of hands for kingdom ministry and mission and Jesus, the head of the body, is at the center of all of it. The New Testament letters of 1 and 2 Timothy were written from Paul to Timothy and in those we learn that Timothy is prone to be timid and fearful. He's young in age. And because of that, people often look down on him, even though he's setting an example for them in speech and life, love, faith, and purity. 
So Paul knows who the Corinthians are. They're prone to be arrogant, proud, resistant to good and loving authority. He knows who Timothy is prone to be. Timid, fearful, unsure. And so Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians, be gracious, be charitable, don't chew them up and spit them out. Be people of peace toward Timothy and not people of hostility. Here's a 30-second video to illustrate exactly what Paul is asking the Corinthians not to do. So those guys, first of all, sat in their car and videoed the thing instead of getting out early. But notice, I've, I've seen this happen, not at Crosspoint, but I've seen this happen to both young and old pastors. And notoriously, if you notice, one sheep was just relentless. And so Paul is asking the Corinthians, be gracious. Be gracious to a shepherd who desires to shepherd you like Christ. Crosspoint, over 20 years. Thank you for being gracious to your shepherds here. Gracious toward staff, toward elders, toward other leaders. Gracious to those who've been here a long time or those who have recently joined in. Let us keep speaking the truth in love to one another. And in doing so, growing more and more into Jesus, the head of the church, the good and chief shepherd. We're going to close with one song. Uh, in the midst of that, we'll give our offering, uh, not out of guilt or compulsion. But Paul wrote this earlier in chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The gospel of most importance has and is shaping Paul's way of life. And as he closes this letter, he is exhorting the Corinthian church to welcome its shaping in their lives. And in the gospel, in the sending of Jesus as our Messiah and Rescuer, we see the lavish generosity of our God on display. Generous toward those who are in desperate need, you and I, of abundant grace and mercy. In the gospel, we see the graciousness of the Father, Son, and Spirit to pursue the lost. How He joyfully welcomes and receives when we come to Him in faith and repentance. How He delights over His children who trust wholeheartedly in Him. We pursue to be a generous and gracious people because that's who our God is. And as his people, we are to reflect that for his glory and not our own. Lord, thank you that you are faithful to finish what you've begun in us. You've begun a good work in us, and may we welcome your gracious work in the coming days, months, and years. May we not resist your transforming, but receive it. For it's for our good and joy you are for us, and we see that displayed in your birth, life, death, and resurrection. Thank you that you brought us into your kingdom and that our citizenship in heaven is secure. Help us live daily in light of our kingdom identity. Grow in us a spirit of generosity and graciousness as your people. May we reflect you both through our words and our way of life. May you be glorified as a result. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Paul writes this in Colossians 1. For this reason... Since the day we heard this, we, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us 
into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins.